0: Welcome to another episode of the Red Arrow Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Marco, with my lovely co-host,
1: Jessica.
0: How's it going, Jessica? It's
1: going fantastic. How are you,
0: Marco? I'm great, especially since we're out of the house.
1: Yeah, it's so
0: exciting. We're, at, we're at Pete's uh, Cider Social in Stevensville, Michigan, and we have some friends with us. We have Greg from Pachyderm Peddlers. We have Liz from Bike Cannon, and we've got Dan from Pete's. How's
2: it going? Pretty good. How is everybody? It's real good to be here. Yeah, super happy to be here. It's
3: great. It's fantastic. Thanks, guys. Thank is. you for having us. So
4: pretty
2: we start... Good. I know he didn't say
5: anything. <laughs> uh, <good>. you know, <laughs> I was getting there. Oh, okay. I was oh, excited. Okay, yeah. I didn't want am excited she wasn't cool. it. Cool.
0: <laughs> so we start every episode where Jess and I ask each other, what are you drinking? But, I mean, we've got the man right here. So, Dan, tell
2: us about these ciders we're having. Well, uh, I... Grabbed our flagship flavor. It's called the Huntsman. Uh, We make it from local Southwest Michigan apples, and it's a middle palate, so an even balance of sweetness and dry. We tend to broadcast it semi dry, uh, because usually compared to most ciders, people have that's what So uh, that's our flagship products. What did you order? I had the same thing. Okay, all right. What about you? You got to guess what I ordered. Yours looks like the Apothecary, which is our. Uh, dry rosé is that hibiscus and strawberry. It's a pretty new one for us. Um, it's a big seller for, like, bottle sales. Today,
4: a, I really like it. It's yeah, on the dry good. side. so yeah, yeah. That's our dryest one. I'm drinking the
3: bird water.
4: Yeah, so that one is
2: something we did special with Blackbird Waterhouse in Coloma And uh, we sat down with their chefs, and they are going to open. Uh, their owners are a cider, and they wanted to have a house cider. Um, so we uh, sat down with all our chefs, we did a bench test, a lot of different flavor
1: combinations, and we use uh,
2: grapefruit and ginger. So that's, it's, it's, yeah, it's delicious.
3: Yeah. for ginger.
2: Yeah. the Ocean Man. Yeah, so Ocean Man's new, it's, uh, uh, something that Eddie, our head production, kind of whipped up, so that's a bit of a play on what is our uh, dry hop cider, the nave, with mango,
1: the
3: yeah.
1: You <laughs> heard that it was limited edition? Yeah, well, I think we only have
2: like whatever's left in that cake right there. We could make more, but we're trying to turn the tabs pretty quick. So if you want some, there. you can get <laughs> yeah. yeah, it might
0: Maybe. be gone by the end of the night. Maybe. Well, everybody, cheers. Cheers. Cheers.
4: Cheers. Yeah virtual chairs nowadays. Yeah, uh, that's right true. Chairs, yeah. <laughs> make sure we touch <laughs> bottoms of our glasses. There you go.
0: Like well, Dan, while we're here, we got a few questions for you. Okay. Jess, you want to lead off?
3: do. So, how did you get your name for your business?
2: Well, that is actually uh, my last name, so I'm Dan Pete. And, um, for us, actually, today marks three years since we had our launch party for Pete's oh. Cider uh, out on our farm in Popham where we make it. And, um, we went with kind of the family name choice because um, we were basing it on our family farm, and really us getting into hard cider became more of an answer to the question of what might we do with our two hundred acre family farm uh, that's a little more sustainable and something where we could be our own processor of whatever we like. Um So although we don't uh, use our own apples in it today, that's because if we wanted to, we would have had to plant a bunch of apples 10 years ago. Years to get into this, Um, but we did plant some kind of unique beach varieties so lots of um, UK, Spanish, French, and some German uh, apple varietals that are known to make good cider, and that's kind of a test market that we will
1: use in the future. Uh,
2: As the market develops, we expect similar to wine 10 15 years ago uh, where it was like,
1: cool, it's local wine
2: now, you want to know which vinifera were used and. Only you know, get a Pinot Grigio wine, you grow Pinot Grigio grapes. So, uh, similar to that, cider. So you gotta have the right fruit in the ground. That's cool. And then for the social, uh, so we're at the Pete Cider Social. So, this uh, is the former Lakeshore Lanes um, bowling alley. And we um, purposely did not necessarily put bowling or anything with lanes in the title because uh, we want to be cider first, entertainment, everything else second. And um we want this to be a place for people to socialize. Obviously they can do that when they bowl, they can do that when they hang out on the new patio we just put in. Uh, courtesy of COVID, to kinda of brush those plans <laughs> up uh the chain probably a year. Um, but that's kind of why we picked the pizza Center like social. Love it. Fantastic. Now being that this
0: used to be a bowling alley well it still is, we can see the lanes over there. Yeah. But uh you know, I haven't been in here since the remodel. Yeah. And uh, well, I remember what it used to look like. Yep. So during that process of turning this into this really beautiful space now, did you make some discoveries?
2: You know, um, I liken this whole building and this whole property uh, kind of like a really good used car. Where you get in and you're like, oh, man, it's still got the owner's manual. And look, they had good, they had good, it's a really good care. Like they marked out the maintenance and all oh, the switches still work and all that. Type of stuff. And so, really, a lot of it was um, kind of 70 30. Like 70% of the building was uh, it was old and in great condition, and uh, and we wanted to kind of amplify that. And then 30% was either old and kind of end of life and needed to be replaced, or old but not old enough and didn't kind of fit the mid century vibe that my wife and I and Josh and Tiffany Cosmic, who we also bought uh, this place with. We kind of all have retro vibe we were going for. And so there were some good discoveries, but honestly, not not many of them bad. I mean, I'll tell you, it is kind of frustrating owning a building with a flat roof. You yeah, have plenty of leaks and all sorts of stuff, but that, that would come in a new building too, so we couldn't be um, more thrilled with the purchase and the owners have been super gracious and they help us learn how to do bowling. I think I only bowled 30 times in my life before we bought the place, so Another reason why we're cider first, one second. I want to give people the wrong impression that we know everything there's to know about. Them. We know a lot of what there is to know about cider. You know,
4: just barely.
2: I should say when we bought
4: it. Now we know a lot more about necessity. You're going to invite the PBA through here soon?
2: Hey, we're, we're a certified licensed lane. We kept all of our certifications up and we can still host um, tournaments and stuff, which we were set to do. Um, Right as COVID hit, and so uh, our leadership team kind of had a had sit down and we said, you know, they just canceled um, the NCAA tournament. Disneyland's shutting down. I got dusted off the emergency plan for my MBA, kind of like the crisis planning like uh, PowerPoint that I still had saved. And um said, like, I, I think there's too many signs that say this is not uh, – not safe moves. They're closing these down. Who are we to still hold our tournament with people who are in the highest risk category that we knew about at the moment? Yeah. So we kind of actually closed bowling before we were ordered to, but it made all of one day's difference because it then closed, I think, one Monday anyway. So, um, you know, that decision would have been taken out of our space anyhow, but I'm glad we were able to make it.
3: I think that's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that
2: you were proactive about it. Yeah. We've been trying to be, um, we were kind of quicker to close and slower to open. We didn't open as soon as we had permission to. find a way to watch, um, in part to learn from our friends who are all more seasoned in this business than we are and you know, can kind of give us pointers of what they've seen and learned from. But also, we were only open for two and a half, two weeks or so before we had to close. So... Almost everyone's first experience, probably all of you are on the table coming I mean in here, is during COVID. That is not the ideal time to make a fantastic customer experience. And so, um, we are trying to be a little bit slow on purpose so that we can be more conscientious of those things. You, notice, you know, we have a whole stand people have to check in and they can't just run around and so we've been trying to be really conscious of winning by design too. God,
3: tons of people. Sure. Awesome. So without COVID, would it be possible to come in with like a group of friends and bowl while you enjoy some cider?
2: Yeah, that was, you know, where the craft beverage market is kind of going is although I'm sure you guys love your products, it is probably a beginning assumption when you come to any craft beverage place nowadays. That the product's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Where when craft the first craft beer wave hit it was almost novelty enough that oh my gosh these folks make their own beer and then a few years into that these other people making beer said this place makes its own beer and it's actually good and then a few years (laughs) after that it got its their products good and it's a great ambiance and now kind of the next one is everyone expects great product they expect cool ambiance and now they kind of want something to do Mm -hmm. So, there's an activity we can do. So, we, that's where we kind of saw bowling, maybe some other social, you know, meetings or aspects. Obviously, a huge curveball thrown now that right. we picked one that's the highest risk and still is closed <laughs> by the governor's order, not even our choice. Um, so, that's, uh, that's something we're going to live and learn with. But I still think that as things recover and, and eventually return to more of a normal scenario, maybe even more so, people will want something. Because they were They're itching up.
1: to get out. Yeah, everybody is
2: ready. So, go. so Bye. yes, you can definitely enjoy a cider while you're here. And we, um, because we are very casual bowlers, approximately once per year at my the party that my aunt threw the day after Thanksgiving <laughs> every year, from around when I was like five or whatever. Uh, hence, the thirty times bowling. Um, that model of bowling where it's you rent the shoes and you have by the game and you like kind of looked at it. No matter how you ran the numbers based on size of party games. I'll probably do it all kind of equated to trying to get about $25 an hour. On each. on thing. So we said, well, that seems like beating around the bush way to get to money. We should just offer that. And it's easier for our casual bowlers who 25 bucks an hour. And I could have six people, all their shoes and we might only get through one game, but what do we care? We just kind of want to have a thing to passively do. No one's betting or whatever mm-hmm. over it. Um, that's a lot more desirable, and you can plan. I'm only committing to an hour here. Yeah. Uh, it also became easier for us because I don't have decades of running a bowling center of experience to no, know this group seems like about 45 minutes to get through the three games they bought. You know, like I'm not going to be able to size people up, so, uh, and we don't think our staff would either. So it kind of make it easier for everyone to plan, uh, which is what everyone wants to The more you can plan, the better you can you know, deliver on what you're trying to do. And, uh, so that's kind of, we went to that hourly thing and it was, it was pretty popular. Um, and it was easy to manage. So, um, that said, we also have a party room. There's six, um, uh, six lanes nearest to the party room are all bumper lanes. Oh, so cool. we'd have Happy birthday Kennedy, you know, we put it up on the wall in there. and so you can that, have kids, kids Yeah, them. you can sequester the kids all kind of down that's by the sick. end and, uh, <laughs> That's where my kids tend to go, you know, when we're here and working on stuff, too. A little something for the parents. So, you're in the you. party. Yep. And then <laughs> yeah, and the yeah, parents yeah. to hang out. So, it's both that and then also, um, you know, corporate retreats. Mm-hmm. We'll wheel in the, you know, uh, TV. There's hip, you know, blackboards in there. Use some one grease pencil. And so, you could do your quarterly retreat. Get your serious business, walk through your numbers for the next 90 days. And then it becomes more of a... Team bonding. Yeah. That was kind of multi professional.
3: Awesome. Do you have to make a reservation if you want to bowl?
2: Uh, not if you want to bowl. Uh, we were just doing that in a first come, first serve basis. Okay. It might get a little more competitive post COVID because I don't know if they'll give out certain guidance that we have to follow, but we will develop our own. And I can tell you right now, at minimum, it will be for the near term at least to keep a whole lane separate from different parties. So that takes our sixteen lane house down to maybe only eight, right? So it could get harder and you know, we might have to figure out how to do reservation. But right now that was kind of first come, first serve, in our very little amount of time we had to practice our model. Um, you know, even people that call ahead, I'll be there in fifteen minutes, almost never showed up, you know, except for their lane. Uh, so we'd be holding sometimes three lanes for people, which for for almost an hour it was seventy five bucks, you know, that we didn't uh, we didn't have someone else. Well, pivoting away from the bowling
0: and back to the cider, because mm-hmm. it's cider first, Yep. we're starting to get more and more people who are familiar with going and checking out the craft beer scene. Uh, craft cider is is coming from behind a little bit, partly because, like you said, you have to plant, plan ahead and yes. it's decades in the making. When a craft beer drinker comes in,
2: what would you recommend their first sample be? Typically, um, thankfully, at lot of craft breweries, even in the immediate area. Um, they'll partner with uh, other manufacturers sometimes, like us, to make sure that they have a nice high-quality cider that's got good apples in it, that make a good cider, well-filtered, which is what you'll notice about most years, made that Guava one, where it's kind of intentionally easy. That's a really clean, kind uh, of see-through product. Um, and that's something where... Many of them have maybe had some not so good ciders in the past, or the only thing they can think of is, isn't that what all the girls drank when I was in college? And it was woodchuck, and it was massive <laughs> sugar and massive acid, uh, which you kind of want a better balance of those. Um, so typically, if they they're not much of a cider drink, which most likely they've at least had something uh, that is kind of craft. There are a lot of those, those breweries now, um, like that That is usually what I direct them to if they don't know and they're trying to figure it out. Typically, if you go to a cider place and they say, This is our flagship product, and you try it and it's pretty good, that's a good indicator of the rest of the more creative stuff stuff, because that means they have a good handle on not screwing up the fermentation process, which, you know, um, arguably, but maybe more than other products, you know, you want to get a really good solid fermentation down, and then you're creative after you decide how much sweetness do we want to have in this product are we going to add with guava you don't do that before you you do it afterwards because you can control what it comes out with a lot better um, and, and make sure you're hitting the notes on the ground so typically I'd start them off there um, if we happen to have a hopped cider on uh, sometimes I'll direct them to that because usually they've never had one it's kind of a blasphemous thing to do in the cider scene um, even the first cider con I went to before we opened uh, Peak Cider, which is like the national, um, all the cider makers get together, is in Chicago, so it's easy at Restaurant Friends Couch. Uh, and I don't even know it was a thing, but I think I went it in to every day. And at one of those breakouts, you know, you have kind of these um, very traditional. Traditionalist cider makers, where they really want it to be like just like what goes on in the UK or Europe in general. Whatever. And they have this vision in their mind that the American cider market needs to be like that because it's ten percent of all alcohol sales and it's really well known and defined. And, you know, for context, cider is maybe two percent. You know, of all beer only sales, I mean, way tiny to share, um, but. You know, they'll view anything that is different than what the Europeans would view as you know, blasphemy. There's so kind of like one camp that's very traditional, another camp that's more opportunistic. And um, we see value in both of them. Uh, but early on, I wanted to definitely put us care about both and planting, you know, good apples for the future. But also, let's be realistic. There's not a craft beer segment that drove all that UK stuff. It's because they never cut their apple trees down. Because they never had prohibition like America, because cider was a bigger normal drink for everyone pre-prohibition. But you outlaw apple, or you outlaw mm-hmm. hard cider as part of all alcohol sales, and those trees only have one good market. Well, the farmers cut them down. Mm-hmm. Why would you? Farming family mm-hmm. different. right something else you can make money. Um, so it never really rebounded, and that's kind of
4: where the history of it.
1: That's
4: cool. I don't, I don't know about the rest of you, but I discovered hard cider about two or three weeks after my parents brought home cider to our house. <laughs> <you know>? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's called a
2: wild ferment.
4: I think.
5: Yeah,
0: being this is our uh, cider and cycling episode.
2: Are you a cyclist by chance? Um, actually, not so much lately, but uh, after college i moved to chicago and i worked for an it reseller firm called cdw and one of my best friends that i made who's probably 17 years my senior so totally did he had kids already and uh, totally different life scenarios name's jason meshford he was a really big cyclocross uh, cyclist and so um, he and i became my best friends at work and so i actually raced cyclocross for Few years for uh, flatlandia Racing Team in Chicago, and then I got really into rugby, and then it was kind of like
3: a pick one. And so I back. Um,
2: but anyway, yeah. So like your dad, I think that has five bikes. While i lived in Chicago, I had three bikes, but only because two of them got stolen. So basically, every uh, you know <laughs> six to nine months, my bike would get stolen, and I'd have to find a new way to lock it up or whatever. Um, so a little bit, but pretty much exclusive to. Uh, cyclocross to cool.
0: the well, well, with the, uh, the cycling scene here in uh, southwest Michigan, what would you recommend? What kind of cider post-ride? What cider do oh, you geez. think would hit the spot post-ride ride for
2: a cyclist? Uh, I think probably if it was me, I would come cruising in and I might have a bird watcher, actually, I think would be nice. That's the grapefruit ginger one. Uh, and then if I was still actually pretty thirsty, I wanted something that was made with um, less apple juice and more water, then I would actually try our new hard seltzer uh, that was on there. my might quench the thirst pretty good too. And that's yeah. something that uh, is not cider at all. Uh, it is, legally speaking, wine, uh, the way we made it. Um, but, uh, you know, that would be probably a nice palate quencher too. So I noticed none of you guys got that.
3: Yeah, the word is super more fresh. I would a this yeah.
0: after my crush sure. Great. Well, Dan, thank you. We're gonna pivot into cycling a little bit more, but we appreciate your time. We know you're really busy trying you know, to keep this, this trying time. If you want to hang out, you're
2: welcome to. Yeah, well, may I at least finish my? All I right. well, that's what that means.
1: Barely <laughs> <laughs> got into
0: Shifting gears now from cider to cycling. We've got Greg Collins from Pachyderm Peddlers in Stevensville, Michigan. Greg,
4: why don't you tell us a little bit about your group? Sure. Uh, It's a little bit of a long story, so I'll try to short it as much as possible. But The Pachyderm Peddler name just came to me through uh, a friend of mine who is a graphic designer, and he does branding for businesses, like big brands. And he was riding one summer, and posting on Strava that he was riding with this club, and he had the logo all developed and everything, Pachyderm Peddler's logo. And I was following him on Strava, and I'm like, oh, I'm so jealous he's riding with club and I would love to ride with the club. There's no club around here, you know, that I knew of at the time. And so I, I uh, reach out to him and said, Hey, can I join you sometime and, and ride with your club? And he said, absolutely. So I go up, uh, to near Rockford is where he lived near, North of Grand Rapids and uh, meet him there one night where his meeting spot was. And I'm pulling my bike out looking for other riders and it's just him. And he comes up, big hello, says, how you doing? Nice to see you. I'm like, Great. Yeah, when's everybody else showing up? He goes, you're the first. I said, well, great. Well, when is everybody else showing up? He goes, no, you're the first ever. And I go, oh, do you mean the first ever? I'm like, this, that's the club? It's just you? This has been a sham the whole time? And, and essentially, it was. And he's got that kind of sense of humor where, you know, he was always talking about the club, wrote at the club tonight. Anyhow, he, uh, to make a long story short, he said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make your chapter. I'll, I'll customize a logo for you in Stevensville. And you can start your own club down there. And I you know, didn't think much of it, to be honest. I let it sit for about a year. And then finally went out and took a bike ride and uh, got caught in the rain one night and pulled into Watermark Brewing Company. And I'm in there, and I'm posting on social media. Took a bike ride, stopped for a beer. You know, what else are you going to do? Make the best of it. And I had so much response just from that little post. I'm like, well, there's a lot of people around here that would be interested in taking a bike ride and beer. And I'm like, great. So the next week, I just reached up to some folks, said, hey, you want to ride? You want to do you know, 10, 15 miles, all-inclusive is how we kind of started. You know, just no drop. Everybody, no, no matter what speed we're going to go, we're all going to stay together. And we had, I don't know, six or seven people that first first night and came back and we had a beer, enjoyed the ride. And it just started from there. And then by the end of that season, which was, we started that in August. By the end of that season, by the end of September, we have about twenty people riding with us, so we kind of started out that way, We're just kind of organic. Nice. And now, how many you have roughly? Gosh, it it, uh, okay. it, was, yeah, it was the beginning of last season, just after Memorial Day. We were we were getting up to about 40, 50 in the twenty eighteen season, and you know, I was counting every night and going, "Wow, we're getting a lot of people." And then just after Memorial Day in twenty nineteen, all of a sudden we had over eighty riders show up in the, middle of the Street and Saint Joseph Avenue. And I was, I was just dumbfounded. I'm like, what am I to do? This is, <laughs> this is a job. I didn't, I didn't want a job. I want to ride my bike and you know hang out with some folks. And uh, it became a little bit overwhelming. And so last summer we were averaging you know, sixty to eighty riders all the time. And even with COVID this year, right out of the gate, uh, the first ride at, at Watermark was, was eighty riders, and we've stayed about there. Uh, so I'm amazed by that number, given what we're in the middle of right now. But uh, that was never the intent, was to grow it that big. Although, uh, you know, I always was posting and promoting it. Uh, but I think Watermark started promoting it as well. And, and that, that really helped. I mean, it's not only that it's a great bike ride, but, you know, it's a great place to hang out to after the ride. So. Oh, definitely. Yeah. That open air
0: concept helps after a hot, sweaty ride. Absolutely. Plenty of room to socially distance. Yeah. yeah. You kind of alluded to it, but are there any membership dues or fees, or is it just free to join, to show up?
4: Yeah, it's it's really not a club of any sort. I just I just slap that name on it. And we we call ourselves the Pack of Derm Peddlers, and uh, you know, and, and people refer to it, you know, kind of with a wink, you know, that hey, I'm one of the pack or whatever. And you no, know, there's no dudes. You, you just show up, and you want to buy a jersey, buy a jersey. We sold 60 jerseys last year, which was amazing to me. And you know, I should. Have, looking back, I'm like, I should have monetized this somehow or another.
5: <laughs>
4: no, it's been great just to get a group of people together, and people love it. I I didn't know that. I was a little worried that the elephant, you know, on the tiny bike was, was kind of a symbol that people didn't want to be associated with associated with. I mean, I was fine associated with it. I'm a little bigger guy and I'm not fast and you know, I'm I'm good with it. But we've got all these other people that have joined us, triathletes and people that are super fit and riding with us all the time and they're they're just you know, please convenient to jump in the rides with us. So it's been a great great community.
0: Nice. And then as a group you've got these group rides and they're Thursday nights,
4: right? Every Thursday night, six thirty, we we have broken up into five different groups now. Uh, You know, like I said, at first we were all inclusive, and after the first I don't know full season, we started getting. I started hearing people say, "Well, I don't want to ride that slow," and so I realized that we were missing a whole group of cyclists out there that didn't want to join us. I thought, okay, well, we'll break in two. We'll have a fast group, we'll have a slow group, a no drop group, and so the second season we were kind of two groups. In the third season, right away, we had to get to at least three. We were four by the end of the season. This year, we're already at five, and we may go to six. I don't know. Just everybody wants to ride that specific pace, you know, and it's uh, it's hard to keep everybody happy. I'm not only the founder leader of it, but I'm the complaint department too. So <laughs> every ride, it's like, wait a minute, my group is going too fast, or my group is going too slow. And okay, well, enjoy the ride. You know?
3: What are the speed breakdowns for your groups?
4: So. Our main pack which is kind of the, the biggest group I think we have about 28 30 riders that are joining that right now it is I think it's about 17 18 miles per hour is our average pace and we do um, we do about 20 miles and the the objective now is to have the pace groups all finish about the same time so we all come back and meet at the same time so whatever you're gonna ride in, in an hour and ten minutes is basically the pace you're gonna set uh, so the main pack is the main group, then we have a, uh, we have a fast group called No Stop, meaning that they're just going to go all out, and we, we, you have to keep up, and that was 20 miles plus per hour, and uh, they're, they're crazy, they have fun off the front of that group chasing each other, uh, and we created a fifth group this year, just behind them, and between the main pack based group, called Got Drop, because you can't keep up with No Stop, got <laughs> and so now you're riding about 18, 19 miles per hour. Uh, and then there's the main pack, and then behind the main pack is the no-drop group, which we try to keep 14, 15 miles per hour, which is a pretty easy pace for most people who've been on a bike. Uh, and then we'll, we'll collect and make sure that nobody gets left on that ride. And then we do a slow roll as well, which is you know ten miles an hour for about ten miles.
0: Is it the same route?
4: Oh, like the giving groups? Is it the same route every week? You know, I uh, I do and keep it predominantly the same just for ease of use. Uh, we'll change up occasionally. When I have the time to change a route and to get a ride leader, finding five five group leaders now is, is not uh, not easy. So, you know, if anybody's out there wants to volunteer, please reach out to me. But uh, yeah, we try to we try to mix it up just a little bit, but not a whole lot. Um, if we run into windy conditions, you know, I know some avoid the wind routes around here. But we can drop down to Thornton and along the lake and get out of the wind. Um, or if people are looking for hills, we can change that up. Now, as there's new pavement around here, we're looking forward to adding new pavement to our roads. So that could be a bonus as well. Or especially when they're
0: out doing the uh, the chip seal, the seal coat. Going through those years, yes, yeah. they do post when they're going to put it up. But they, there's a difference between the administrative office and the guys who are actually putting it out. Right. Having I used to work for the road commission.
4: Yeah. I was going to tell you, and I, I didn't say this originally, but with the whole the whole uh, origination with the group. For me, it was just trying to get off the sofa at least once a week. Not that I was a big sofa guy, but I, I'm, I'm in the car for a thousand miles a week. I'm, I'm, you know, at a desk. I work in restaurants, so I'm also on my feet. But when I came home, I was like, "Oh, I'm done. I'm dead, right?" And you know, I, I love to ride my bike, so I kind of put that, that invitation out there to people to say, "Hey, let's you know, let me get out once a week. And if I have other people that say i 'I'm going to ride with you,' then then I have this." That social Yeah. Yeah. And that it really worked for me because for a while it's only riding once a week. And it was because I knew that this group of people was going to be showing up. And then that, that kind of culminated last year where all of a sudden I did more miles than I think I've, I've done in a long, long time. And took a long trip up to Mackinac Island uh, over a week ride and, uh, and really was feeling great about it. You know, and that's, that's been, a, been a highlight for me, the whole group. This season's a little different with COVID and everything going on. That's not been as regular riding as I'd like, but uh, yeah, that's part of the group. With 60 to 80 riders, obviously you've got a broad group, but
0: yeah. if you had to generalize age groups, what do you see most, do you think?
4: Guessing? Well, age, age is uh, almost by pace. Okay. <laughs> you know, a little bit, but, um, you know, we, we, uh, we talk about the guys at the no stop group. You know, there are a lot of sub 30 year olds there or around 30 year olds. But there's also some guys in there that are 40, 50 year olds that keep up with that group still. Uh, you know, the second group, we've got quite a few strong riders that are probably you know, 40, 50 ish. Uh, maybe a few 30 year olds ride in that group. The main pack is a big mix. And he, and it's a big mix of genders, too. We start to find uh, a lot more women and men together in the main pack. And, uh, you know, that's anywhere from, you know, what, 20, 25 year olds to the 60 year olds. No drop is a real mix of, of people, uh, people that are trying to come out on rec bikes, uh, don't ride a lot, uh, all ages, all genders. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's mixed up. But, you know, what we're trying to, what we're trying to avoid is, uh, that, uh, that intimidation of the, of the cyclists that are all spandex and look like they're in the Olympics or the Tour de France, right? We, you know, I really would, would like to avoid that as much as possible because I want everybody to come up and ride. And just because they see people dress like that, that's really intimidating to them. And they don't really understand the functionality of clothing first. Right. Until they ride a few times and they're like, oh, maybe I should get some padded shorts. Yeah, know, or, yeah. Yeah, I'm chafing, I'm chafing here. Maybe I should get something that doesn't do that. So, in uh, you know, that slow roll is where I'm, I'm trying to come up with you know, a way to tell people, hey, this is going to be a no spandex. You know, you can't wear spandex in this group. You've got to wear baggy shorts. <laughs> you gotta wear, You got to wear shoes, no cycling shoes. Whatever, but I want it to be all inclusive so people can come out and enjoy it.
0: And along those same lines, there's the clothes, but also the equipment itself, the bike. Uh, right now, is everybody out there on a road bike, a touring style, a racing bike, or you see all types? Of mount bikes?
4: Yeah, we, we see all types. Throughout all those groups, You see all types. We see some bikes that probably shouldn't be out there, you know, that we need a little more maintenance on. And we see bikes that, you know, are more than some of the cars that are pulling up in the driveway there. So... No, it doesn't it doesn't matter. we're gonna take everybody that way so it works out. And now the gravel bikes are becoming a big thing. see a lot of gravel bikes out there. We don't have a gravel route, but um, the gravel riders kind of frustrating me because they're riding us which is supposed to be a bigger tired slower <laughs> a bigger tired, slower bike, but they're still going faster than I go. so I'm like, okay, come on, I need an advantage here. Do you ever see any of my bikes that got stolen <laughs> <laughs> in mean,
5: Chicago?
1: Post some or, photos. down? Yeah. Post some
2: photos of a
0: right, little yeah, A Nice cool red line. <laughs> well, while we have you here, uh, your group's also very involved with Beer 30. The Beer 30, yeah. which I wrote in last year and really enjoyed. Can you tell us a little bit about the Beer
4: 30? Sure. That was just another harebrained idea As we started riding together with people and uh, riding from the brewery down there. We, we found ourselves riding 30 miles a lot. And, you know, the old phrase, what time is it, beer 30? And I thought, hey, we could come up with something that's called Beer 30, and we could do something good with it. We could give back to an organization of some sort and make a charitable ride. And, and right away, we connected with Cycle Recycle up in Harbor uh, and uh, put together a ride that just kind of blew me away the first year we had 150 people show up for this ride. Paid money to show up for this ride, you know? And, and we were able to make that nice donation to Cycle Recycle, and we had a Bluebird Day of just... Which just awesome. We went around tasting beer at the other breweries. Not encouraging drinking during during the ride, but just tasting, and came back and we had a nice party afterwards. Uh, last year in 2019 was our second year, and uh, we doubled up that attendance again to my surprise. So almost 300 people show up and paid us to show up, and we made a much bigger donation to Second Recycle. It's all all profits, all proceeds go to Second Recycle, and uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been really nice. So the bonnet oh, is like a reason that I went last year. It was
0: well-organized, well-executed, and to find out that everybody's a volunteer. I mean, just even checking at registration, it was just all your members were there volunteering. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, they knew their role, and we got through the line quickly. Everybody was super friendly.
4: It was fun. Great, great. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a blast. So we're looking forward to this year. We don't know what's going to happen in the situation we're in, but we hope that – still good. A lot of things have been canceled this year. We feel it's kind of like a micro event, small local event. You know, it's not been anything been huge scale yet. We think we can pull it off safely and still do it this year. And Last year you had the 15, the 30, the 45, and the 60. Yeah, we, we, didn't, go, we went on the quarter hour. We'll still, we'll still, do, the, still do that this year. Um, I think our date is Saturday, September 12th this year. Uh, tickets are already on sale through Eventbrite. Um, you can look us up on the Package and Peddlers Facebook page
3: uh, or on the uh, Instagram page find us as well
0: so please do that one it's a lot of fun and it's for a good cause
3: so if somebody comes along to ride a bike on thursday and they don't have a buddy with them do you like introduce them to people and assign them a buddy so they don't have to just sort of they're with the crowd but they're not really with anyone you know
4: i mean that's a great question i think that we kind of absorb those kind of people but there's a group leader for every pace you know so we try to make sure that there's some connection that you know is there and uh now, this year, I, I've had fun. I've had a little bit more time on my hands. Uh, last year, I was opening restaurants. This year, I'm, I'm not. So we try to amp up the start of it a little bit and uh, play a little house music at the beginning. We're doing a, a, kind of a DJ intro, trying to get a show of hands, who's riding in what group, and making sure that people feel like you know, they have a, a place to go. We put signs up, or we have the group leaders hold the signs for the face group so they can kind of congregate there. It's still an area for us to improve upon, but I think that that's... That helps people feel more comfortable about
1: yeah. Definitely. Are you
4: gonna, am I with the right group right now or not?
1: Yeah. yeah.
4: And then through the ride, people uh, you know get to know each other. I always say if you're riding in a pace group that you can't converse in because you're you're exerting yourself so much, you're in the wrong pace group. Because a ride was intended to be a social ride. Mm-hmm. We want you to get out there and be active, but we also want you to meet other people and have conversation. So, you know, choose the group that you can still hold a conversation and ride at the same time. And that makes that thing.
2: How do you all keep in contact between
4: rides? It's the best way. Is there like a Facebook group? Yeah. yeah our our Facebook page is the best way, I think. You know, we're a little bit older demographic, so Facebook seems it's to be the one cool. we use. Yeah, it's still cool to us. <laughs> you know. Uh, but I'm trying to get more into Instagram and use that a little bit more. I'm not very good at it. Uh, you know, but we we've also people that want to volunteer with us, uh, be group leaders, get more involved. I have a, have a private group on Facebook. That I put those people in, so that we can talk about group leading. We can talk about, um, you know, just being better at organizing and volunteering the group. So I don't broadcast that to everybody, and I think that's working to some degree so far. So again, it's for me it just started out as a bike ride and a beer, and now it's coming into something that's like a little bit of a job, uh, which I, I appreciate because I love seeing the community cycling like build, uh, and I love the, the camaraderie that's out there. Uh, and I just think it's you know it's healthy too, right? Doing something that's healthy. Fresh air, exercise. Yeah. And and, and people, what's really caught me off guard is last year, I was riding along uh, a friend of mine, actually, Ethan Garrity, was riding next to him, and uh, just talking along the route. He looks me square in the eye, and he goes, I want you to know, this is the highlight of my
5: week. Mm -hmm.
4: I look forward to this ride more than anything, all week long. And I I was caught off guard by that that comment. I'm like, gosh, I scrambled just to get this thing going, just to get out here. And here it is, people are depending on this. You know, it's way bigger than I ever thought it would you it. It's, you know, all of a sudden I feel that responsibility to some degree. But, you know, I love that that's what people think about it. And it's, and it's been a highlight of my week, too, because I, I look forward to it. But I'm glad that people see it. That way.
0: And then now on your Facebook page, your Instagram, I'm seeing Tuesday Rides of Buchanan. And luckily we have Liz Martin here with Bike Buchanan and the Tuesday Night
1: Social Rides.
3: Yeah. Hello. Uh, okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I started Biking Cannon about three years ago now, Um, and it's kind of an interesting story how that got started as well. Um, So I I was in school about four or five years ago, and I moved back into the southwest Michigan area. I grew up here originally, Um, and I took to biking as my kind of mental outlet. After work, it was something that I just kind of went and did, and I did it alone. Um and there was one little adventure that I found myself on, I think on Memorial Day about four years on now, where I had my Memorial Day plans get longed. And I rode my bike up to um Baldwin, Michigan, which is oh wow. I think it's like hundred and fifty miles, maybe two hundred miles away from here. Um and I had a lot of time to think on that ride. (laughs) (laughs) Um and prior to that I think it. Officially know Greg at this time, but I, I might have gone to a pack ride every now and then, or um, going along to the various rides that happened in northern Indiana or something. Michigan. In being kind of a newcomer into like the group cycling scene, like I was always a solo cyclist, it was my way to commute around school and something that I did growing up as a kid. Um, but the scene can be very intimidating. Um, and that's something that like I felt just getting into cycling. I didn't really know where, what group I would fit in or if I would be able to keep um, with the people around me. You kind of look at people's, um, gear and their right. bikes and, uh, what they're wearing. like, oh, I'm just in sport shorts. What am I doing here? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, and honestly, as athletes or people who are just getting into moving their bodies, um, we shouldn't be uh, looking around the people around us and feeling really, like we need to like compare or stack ourselves up. Like the most important um, reason for for me is get on the bike is just to move my body and clear my head and maybe meet someone along the ride. Um, so I was kind of thinking about those themes as I was biking up on this solo adventure up north. Um, and when I returned from that little bike ride, I. Was talking to a lot of my friends in the community, and uh, and a lot of people were questioning, "Liz, why are you always riding alone?" Like, one, they might have been concerned for my safety, Um, and also I was starting to know that there were other people in this area that like to ride bikes as well. And so shortly after that, I think maybe like three weeks after, I just made a Facebook group by kicking um, and I just said, Hey, I'm meeting in this random parking lot. And at the time, it was every Wednesday night, um, three years ago, um, I'll be meeting at 630 30, anyone's welcome to join. And I had, I think seven people come out that night and in the people who came out were people who had a bike in the garage that has been sitting there for a couple of years they haven't touched in a while, um, they dusted it off and brought it out and, My parents joined in and some uh, some of my other, uh, friends in the area just had a bike in the garage and they they brought it out. And we just went on a a really nice, like, 15 mile route around the kingdom area. Um, and one of the most important things for me is when I'm riding a bike, it's like, it's not necessarily like speed focused for me, it's more so observing like the scenic views around the routes. And I mean, I think Southwest Michigan in general is really blessed with like, a really beautiful area mm-hmm. um some hilly areas as well <laughs> especially
0: down around Buchanan maybe.
3: yes Buchanan is very hilly so for me it was like cultivating a group of people who again wanted to dedicate one or two nights a week depending on what they're riding other places to just kind of get on their bike move, um explore a little bit of this area that maybe they've never been on before and just ride bike. um like, that's kind of what I, my little motto for me when I remind myself, wait, why am I doing this again? <laughs> it is like, I'm here to ride a bike. I'm here to explore, um, like, the beauty around us and then move and connect with people on bikes. And so the first, the first couple years of biking cannon, um, it varied in groups. Like, it was just me leading. I didn't have any volunteers. Um, I really didn't have any intent on growing this to be a, a gigantic group. Um, it was more so a time where I could dedicate to myself to meet people and to get people out on bikes and like look around at the beauty around us. Um, and so we would always have maybe like 15, 10 to 15 people come out on rides. There would be one group. We would all go at the same pace. And I would create the route based on who. So if I knew I was getting seven people from the pack coming down to ride with me, um, I would plan a more challenging and, and longer round. But if if I if I knew other people were coming down who were just kind of getting off on bikes, mm-hmm. I have a plethora of routes that are perfect for people who are just kind of getting their toes wet, just to kind of give them that mm-hmm. little bit of challenge and they need to pedal forward. And so um, this year, I I kind of decided to to switch things up a little bit because I, I love the idea of getting people who are just being started off on bikes, giving them the space to kind of explore what that feels like and not wearing yeah. any, <laughs> any intense bike equipment or having fancy bikes. I always wanted that to stay true. Um, so I know that a lot of people in this area do like to go fast and, and do kind of like that challenge of really competing with other peers. And so I built out multiple groups, um, and for right now we're running five groups. Um, we have a gravel group, um, <laughs> which if you're not familiar with the Kansas area, um, we are blessed with great gravel roads. Yes,
1: you are. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and so it, it is only uh, it is only right if we incorporate uh, an official gravel gravel route in our ride. So we'll always have a gravel route. Um, in that group, will go about twenty to twenty-six miles, um, and they'll go at a pretty quick pace. I think right now they're averaging about eighteen 19 miles per hour on
4: gravel. On gravel, I'm gravel. <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: and you have to you have to go <laughs> on some pavements, to get to the gravel, but um, you get some pretty good elevation drain um, when you're out on those routes, and, it, and it's pretty fun. Like I mean, all the gravel roads in this area are just phenomenal. And then um, next down we have. Uh, One draft group, which we just incorporated this last week, and I think that was a big hit. So, these are all the people who want to be on pavement and go really fast. This last week, they averaged about 22 miles per hour. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yep. uh, All power to them. I'm not leaving that group. (laughs) 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 Um, And then, uh, following on the same route, we have um, another group that will average about 16 Um, 17 miles per hour, and that is a no drop. And they will scoop up anyone who might fall off of that drop group, they're always going to be on the same route. And then, uh, next down, we have a 15 mile pavement loop, and that is more of people who are just kind of getting into biking a little bit more and want a little bit more of a distance challenge. Um, They're able to jump in that group, and there is some fun pedals in there, uh, but everyone's been able to keep up and seem to really, really like that ride. Um, and then we have one of my favorites, um, Smiles for Miles, which Bike <laughs> Buchanan was kind of based on, is always having a group where anyone who's just getting started, no matter where they are, has a place to kind of explore what it feels like to be on a bike and quite a group. And um, that's been our biggest turnout so far. This last Tuesday, so last night, we had about 20 people in that group. <laughs> yeah, um, and i mean that for now. Um, and it's just a good time. I mean, people bring their children out and they're able to kind of learn what it's like to ride in a pace line, and um, learn kind of the rules of the road, walking out for traffic, calling out poles. And um, the parents seem to be super, super uh, excited to just have their kids out riding. Because a lot of the times, it's either you're going to find if you have younger kids, you're going to find um, <laughs> care for them while you go out and ride, or you sacrifice a ride. And so, yep. um, depending on the age group and what you're comfortable with your, with your children, um, I like to find a space for you to incorporate your children
0: into bike. Um That like, how wow. young are we talking among the riders? Not not the ones on the basket seat on the back or <laughs> backpack or the trailer. Yeah. How young of a rider have you seen out there?
3: Well, I mean, this last Tuesday we did have a pull behind okay. um, with some young folks in the back and um, but, but out of those pedaling? Yeah, out of those pedaling, I think the youngest we have out there is nine years old. Wow. Yeah. No, Definitely no training wheels. No <laughs> training wheels are out there. Um Not but what if you someone don't comes either. out with right. training wheels, I'll find a route for them. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Super sweet. Yeah. No, but I mean, I think it's important, uh, especially the youngsters being able to, you know, even like to ride with with older folks. Like mm-hmm. it can be okay. intimidating for them as well. Yeah. And I think, given the time that we're in right now as a as a world, um, finding those outlets mm-hmm. for for the younger people as well to get involved with this moving their bodies and I eating is something that's going to stick with them for a long time. So we can kind of. Empower them you to go. feel safe out on the road. And
0: be in Constructive, position. positive way to burn off with frustration, get out of the house. Uh, just be active and get away from the TV and everything else. And you can
3: be around people, but also not be around
0: people. Well, you can't and get too close, you're going to crash. Exactly. So, so that you know. way it's
3: perfect. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, uh, another another fella who uh, came out riding with our group last year, I think he's 14 now. He is one of my my go to my go to guys for if I just need to bounce an idea off or um, he he was riding his mountain bike around town last year when we were staging out for one of our group rides and he just rode past us stopped his bike and started yelling at like a herd of adults on various levels of bikes but I gave him so much props because he was so curious about what we were doing he's like what are you guys and I said, Well, we're about to go on a bike ride. And he was like, Well, like, can I come? And I said, Absolutely. So, um, mm-hmm. his name is Jacob. And he, he's been riding with us ever since. And he, he joined us on this really big 29 or mountain bike. And he uh, didn't have a helmet on. And luckily, um, we had a spare helmet floating around in our vehicles. And we provided that to him because I said, If you're riding with us, you need have a helmet. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been with us ever since. And, this last year, he spent his winter saving up his money and he just bought himself a nicer gravel bike than the one that I own. <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> and Good for him. And he's out with us this year riding with the 20 mile group going super fast.
4: Wow, I rode with him a couple weeks yeah. ago. Oh, he was such a great kid to chat up. He's I couldn't a believe how young he was.
3: Yeah. yeah, so he he's amazing. It just gives me so much excitement whenever he's around. Um, but. Yeah, so it's like for me starting bike canon is not only to just like empower people to explore and move and ride a bike, but it really comes down to just meeting these like outstanding people. Um, and for me on a personal note, it's I have met like an incredible network of humans in southwest Michigan that I didn't even know existed that My kind of ambition and consistency with cycling that's kind of led me to all these folks. Um and I think that's something that's super spectacular about Southwest Michigan in general and the cycling communities that Greg myself and a lot of other people have been building for a long time. Um that really makes it a welcoming space and a non-intimidating space for people who are just getting started out and for people who've been biking for so long. Um, I think creating these spaces, whether it's in Stevensville and McKinnon and maybe other pockets around Southwest Michigan, um, really can, one, help grow the community here in general in this area, but gives a lot of people a healthy outlet mentally and physically to just move their bodies and and bike and meet
4: people. Yeah, I I think what Liz did over these last few years is amazing. I joined her probably two or three years ago. Never
3: I won my first ride. Yeah,
4: yeah, I think so. And I I was only able to, to uh I think one ride a year, one ride a season is all I got to. Wednesdays wasn't a good, a good night for me. And now that she's changed to Tuesday nights this year, I think I've made, I don't know, half of them at least. And I can't wait to get my daughter up there. My daughter joined me on a pack ride recently and of course she comes back. We did the slow roll. She comes back and her her rear end hurts a little bit, her hands hurt a little bit, and uh, you know, so being the dad I am, I come home the next day with cycling shorts, gloves, <laughs> a phone holder, because she's very concerned, mm-hmm. you know, 14 years old, i got to carry my phone with me, oh, and uh, I want to really get her into it as well, think she's so, showing a glimmer of interest, but what, what Liz has done has been amazing, and that, that all-inclusiveness, I think, which we both kind of started with, uh, has grown the community, because we're, we're trying to get people out of their houses and just get them active. And like I said earlier, I'm a little concerned that we intimidate people now. And so I really want to want to get back to that. And I think you've done a really nice job of that. And uh, I remember the first couple of times riding with Liz, it just, was just so chill. And it was just so easy around the Buchanan. There was no egos at the front of the pace line. There was nothing going on. I would just enjoy the scenery, enjoy the pace, enjoy the conversation. So it was terrific.
3: Yeah, that was the, the beginning years were all about conversation with me and meeting people and that's how I came across Greg I showed up to one of my rides and um, yeah I, I met a lot of people that way and there's people who came out to that first ride with me in and that they are still riding these day and they've made some improvements to their bike setup and maybe to the clothing that they wear and that's all on them Like I've never I've never never them push you into having a new bike or wearing a different piece of clothing. Like it's all about what you're comfortable with. Um, and throughout these years, like we've done competitions together, we've made goals together. And, um, it's really, it's really fun to see how people have kind of grown into their own, um, grown into into being a cyclist. Like whether, whether they're triathletes or just getting out of their house once a week or, um, are really intense bikers. It's like we're all kind of gathering on that same mission and we're all here to cheer you on. Um, and so it's just really special to now see, as someone who's still organizing these really huge rides, I think we're bringing out like 45 to 50 people um, every Tuesday night now. Oh. Fantastic. And now for me, being able to kind of step back and observe everyone kind of connecting there, and uh, making friends from this, and uh, meeting people in the community we're okay. in Buchanan. So we're drawing people from the, the Saint Joe, Benton Harbor, Stevensville so, area yeah. down to Buchanan. We're also drawing people from Elkhart
0: and Granger. Like they're coming across the border, coming yeah. in from yeah. Indiana. I, I followed wow. somebody up.
4: I was down. Mr. Walker working the other day, and I followed somebody up to your ride, but I couldn't get to the ride, but their bikes were loaded, they got off at the Buchanan exit, and they're, they're going <laughs> to they're going to join in. Tuesdays, where do you meet? What
3: time? Yeah, so um, we meet every Tuesday at 6.30. We will change it to 6 after evening. Um, and we meet at River St. Joe Brewery in
1: Buchanan. Okay.
3: And they, I also want to shine light on them as well, because... They just opened up this this last year, um, right before the pandemic hit as well. So they've been really quick to um, modifying, obviously, their business to kind of that. And um, I had reached out to them um, maybe earlier this year just kind of talk to them about Bike Buchanan, and they had already known about what Bike Buchanan was. And they're super, super helpful to um, want to support and host their rides moving forward. So, such a great partnership with them um and they open right now exclusively for yp cannon and have hard giving a dollar off beer for all the cyclists who participate um and they have beautiful outdoor spaces for people to kind of sit and chat and all of their beer is just phenomenal and it's, it's just a, great a great spot time. awesome and
0: then uh ride for road
3: yeah
0: can you tell us a little bit about ride for road
3: Yes. Yeah, um, so I became connected with um, this organization called Recovery On Water, um, and they are an organization that supports uh, patients and survivors of breast cancer um, to just move. And um, they have a rowing team. You might be wondering, if you're a bike can, and what are you doing with rowing? And it's all the same. I mean, whether you're rowing, or running, or just moving. Um, but you support you now. And so they host uh, these charity rides once a year, um, Ride for Row. In the past, they've hosted in the Chicago area and they decided to come up to Buchanan to host their ride out of River St. Joe. And so they came in contact with me. Um, another thing about me is I love to plan routes, I'm very familiar <laughs> with this area. so... If you ever need data on a route, i would be glad to help you. And so, I think that was part of um, part of the reason why I think that partnership is really good with them is they wanted to come into this area, and I helped them plan out the two rides that they're going to be hosting later this July. Underline Um And so that has been a great partnership because one, it's for a, an amazing cause. And I want to invite cyclists in this area to participate um, because there's going to be uh, a 75-mile route, a 30-mile route, route, and all of um, the money that is raised will be going towards that organization to continue to help um, support patients and survivors of breast cancer. So everyone is welcome to enter. Um everyone is supposed to be raising two hundred and fifty dollars um in order to ride into um this ride and uh mm-hmm. all that money will be donated. And so I encourage everyone to sign up and participate. I can assure you that all the routes are gonna be gorgeous <laughs> and challenging and <laughs> um if you're gonna be doing the seventy-five mile route, uh you'll be riding along with Michigan and going through all of the beautiful farmland in the southwest Michigan area, um, and then that, if you're riding 30 miles, it's going to be gorgeous as well. And you're going to be touring around the greater Buchanan area, um, but it's just going to be a good time. It's going to be drawing in some people, but it's all self paced, so um, there's not going to be a lot of big groups. It's more so you're just going to come, you're going to ride, um, and you're riding for, for something bigger than yourself for a day. That's amazing. Yes. I love that.
0: And if people wanted more information or to get signed up, where should they go?
3: Yeah. So I'll be um, posting more about it uh, in the coming weeks on the Bike You Can Facebook page. Um, I have the event registration up there now, um, so people can sign up for that. Um, also, if you want to research more about the organization, Recovery on Water, you can um, just search for them, and you'll find a lot of information. Learn more about their mission as well. Um, and then you're able to send up for the bank website. And another thing that I, I did is I created a can cannon team for Ride for Row. So if people wanted to kind of be a part of that team, we can collectively um, raise money together. In the coming weeks, you'll we'll see I'll have some fun little campaigns that might help people uh, fundraise a little bit more. Um, but yeah, so I, I encourage anyone to sign up and if you want to be a part of the team. I mean, that'll be as a fun way we can work together to uh, thank you.
4: very good cause. Sounds you. like there should be a pack. <laughs> Go, for
0: Go
3: for it. We might have
0: to put that together. Love Little competition's it. always a good thing, once for a good cause. Oh, well, it's not competitive. I
4: just have a oh. team together.
3: It'll be. It'll be competitive. <laughs> Do you have a favorite route that you like to ride on? That's a hard question. So. You might have seen me, no one else can see me, but I was raising my hand a little bit earlier when Greg was commenting on those people with gravel bikes. Uh, and I only ride on a gravel bike. Um, so, for those of you who might not know, a gravel bike is similar to a road bike, but it just means you can have a wider width of the tire, which means you can you can kind of go off road a little bit and dodge, uh, dive into potholes rather than having to avoid them, which is nice in a Um so, I have a lot of favorite gravel routes in this area. And one of the routes that I like to feature on um, Bike Buchanan's group ride nights is riding up and down the Lake Road, which is a north to south ride. Um, there's a lot of hills, uh, but it's honestly just a beautiful area. Most of the ride is just surrounded by trees, and you go by some water and, and small ponds. Actually, always wildlife along the route, and so it's one of those rides that um, you're mentally engaged because you really gotta be aware of your surroundings. You never know what's gonna run in front of you. It could be a deer or a tree that's down. <laughs> but um, I think for me, it's I, I try to seek out some of those more secluded roads and the roads that are a little bit less traveled on. Um, and as a cyclist, that's just where I kind of find my groove a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Now, this is
0: for everybody. How many days a week do you personally ride?
3: I will be completely honest with you, and I will say it varies. <laughs> I mean, I I, um, I try to get out at least four or five times a week, but um, some weeks are better than others. And uh, for me, it's just making sure if I feel like I'm getting a little bit heavy or I need to clear my head, that's when I know it's time to get out on my bike because normally
4: that's my best medicine. Yeah, I, I think if I can get out three times a week, I feel great. But Twice a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. is always a good time to get out. And now I'm enjoying, uh, my wife just went through uh, ACL surgery her knee, and so I'm kind of backing off going out on my own ride, which I mm-hmm. normally do by myself and try to knock out twenty in the night or something. I've got out my rec bike. Just tooling around the neighborhood with her, and I find that so enjoyable because she's not a cyclist, mm-hmm. and so now she's going through the recovery of, of the, of the uh, surgery, and we're just kind of cruising. It's really enjoyable. Um, awesome. Yeah.
0: We can relate to that. You okay. can. And then a uh, post ride. What's your favorite uh, post ride beverage of the adult variety?
1: Oh, <laughs> what's
4: well, easy? I mean, I'm a beer drinker. You know, I, I love craft beer. Actually, I, love wine beer, but I, I really love craft beer. After it rides cold. You know, it's great. Uh, i got to put a plug in for Watermark Brewing Company. They've, they've just been so great to us. Those guys have taken care of the group. They've, they've been a huge uh, reason why the group has, has grown. And they just put out a beer in honor of us called Touching Tires. Yeah, it's a 4.5% uh, juicy IPA dry hop. Really, really nice beer. I'm, I'm honored that they, they put that out for us, and uh, it's on tap right now, so check it out.
3: Yeah, I am I am a beer drinker as well, um, and I love a good IPA. Um, and so, River St. Joe just uh, they had a, a double farmhouse house pale which is a very, very juicy um, beer that I always get when I'm there, and for now, I'm craving that all the time. I take
4: I, I gotta give Dan props though because my wife's not a beer drinker at all. I mean not even not even the lightest of light beers. And uh pizza's on tap, right, at Watermark. Yeah. And she loves the cider there. And she said the other night we rode up there on Sunday night and I forgot there was cider. And she goes, They have really good cider here. I'll i have that. And I'm like, Okay, fantastic. Because she wanted one of their slushies. Occasionally they do a beer slushie yeah. kind of some sort. And I said, No, we don't have those that's fine I love the cider it's really well, I'm good here only 20 that bike ride
2: maybe next time you guys are doing your tour, <laughs> yeah.
0: you're
1: still between the I'm a, I'm a the club yeah. member <laughs>
0: over at Watermark and they just write cider up there like okay they got cider I didn't realize it was peat cider yeah. yeah, might need to talk to them about you know changing the signage a little no, bit. that's
2: okay I mean they they partner with manufacturers it's a looking long thing too that you know they can and they should finish the manufacturing process yeah Getting into a glass. So, um, it is just a complicated, like the liquor wall world is so bizarre. You could know, yeah, yeah. have a whole podcast just about
0: that. <laughs> Maybe just say it's with pizza apples. Yeah. There
3: you go. Yeah. Jess, what about you? For after a ride? Yeah. Oh, um, I like, I favor the tiki drinks. So, pretty much anything that has rum and fruits in it, and I am there for that. Dan, how about you?
1: Well, wouldn't in your bike fair,
5: it wouldn't be fair because I haven't
2: gone on either of these bike rides with you guys, but I still do have my road bike here. So now I'm going to feel pretty obligated to make okay. it at once. Um, so I guess it will depend uh, which brewery we end up at, but uh, I tend to like, you know, a session beer. So that's so probably what I'd go for. Um, kind of lighter.
1: Marco, how about
2: you? I
0: mean, I you know me. I'm Mr. Variety, but I have gone on record that after I finish a triathlon, when I cross that finish line, PBRs are my favorite. Ice cold. <laughs> it's not classy. It's not expensive, but uh, Job done. it's pretty close to water, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I can have something with actual flavor to it.
3: What do you guys like to eat before you go on a ride? Do you eat anything?
4: I'm not big on eating before rides. I like to eat during a ride. <laughs> Okay. A of a ride. <laughs> well, it's just a snack, right?
3: Yeah, or, a granola bar. Cute.
4: Yeah, but even before I ride, to uh, weigh me down heavier than I already have. So. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I try to keep a light or plan a bigger meal. If I am going to eat, I gotta plan it out at least a couple hours before I go out of the ride. Um, but I am definitely for snacking during a ride, so I always will have like a granola bar, nuts, um, or a banana that I'll kind of munch on. Going on. Um, but I, I definitely eat her after I mm-hmm. love her a ride.
1: I <laughs> after What do you eat after
3: your ride? Anything. An <laughs> I, don't know anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I am for sure a muncher, so I like to have food close by. Uh, baguettes are normally my, my go to meal of any sort. Sure. I always sure. crave one of those. So. Baguettes are amazing. Lie,
5: they're,
3: they're super good and they really were pulling cool <laughs>
4: I'll tell you, I learned, a, I learned a hard nutrition lesson last year in July. I, I joined a group doing a it called tour to try, and they do all the local try routes around here. Three straight days, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I just jumped on the Sunday ride because I'm not that crazy. And it was an 80-mile ride, and it was it was 90 degrees heat, and it was a hilly ride. It was built as a hilly ride. My body's not built for hills. And uh, I, I was feeling really good through about the 60-mile mark, and all of a sudden I bombed. I didn't realize why. And it was just nutrition. I hadn't hadn't replenished electrolytes. I lost so much sodium during the ride. And I was overcompensating. i was so hot by just drinking as much water as possible. Mm-hmm. And that even made it worse. And uh, I cramped up at like mile 75. Oh, no. Like, couldn't turn my leg mile 75. And some people came back and got me. This guy uh, that I've ridden with forever, he's one of the first guys with the pack, uh, Tim Walsh. He hands me a... a Pickle juice shot,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and I'm like, okay, pickle juice, whatever. I take that. We're standing there talking. He's like, "You ready to get going again?" I said, "Sure." Jump on the pedals again. No cramps at all. Mm-hmm. It was like a miracle drug to me. Yep. That's Yeah, and I got I got back, uh, but I won't tell you. I won't tell you the consequences afterward. i was still really not <laughs> for well. I I, I I I passed out for a while. And, yeah, but yeah, you got to replenish all that stuff. Now I know. Yep. But lesson. With the
0: hot, humid weather we've been having lately, have you run into any issues with the groups you've had out on two season Thursdays? Individuals not prepping for the weather correctly, or the heat not
4: bringing enough water bottles? Yeah, not, not yet. I think we've been very lucky. It starts to cool down right about ride time for us, and the nights that we've had. Um, to be honest, personally, I'm, I'm avoiding riding a little bit. You know, right now when it's that hot at night. Um, I wish I could change my, my own itinerary up to ride in the morning, ride at six or seven AM when it's cool enough. But yeah, uh, you know, everybody's been making it through as far as I know. So I think we're doing okay. It means that trophy at the end of the ride, they've got a water more beer waiting for them. That they're they're powering through So I don't know about this. But...
3: Yeah, for us I mean it really comes down to people just kinda of knowing their limits and being able to hydrate right? and um, we're always At least for all of my my ride leaders, I'll know. like,
1: We're
3: here to lead the ride. We're here to keep an eye on everyone. So if it does come down where someone needs to take a break and slow down, we will definitely do that. We take that very seriously. And we have contacts all around Buchanan. So if you need to just get a look back to the brewery and we'll meet you there, Um, we're able to pick you up and take you back. And that's no issue. That's awesome. It is hot. And so, we need to take that very seriously, and when you're bringing out people from all different experience levels, it's something that you really have to take seriously, um, especially when it's really hot and humid. And, um, and it's one of those things that you really have to know your limits and know what you're comfortable with. And if it is too hot, no one's going to hold that against you. If you decide to sit with you'll be back always. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think for me, it's always knowing that if we ever need help along the route, we have that close travel.
4: And um, now, now that I think about it, we, we took a ride from Watermark down to River St. Joe Buchanan, uh, a few oh, Saturdays God. ago, and it was super hot that day, and we had a rider on the way back who decided to, to call for a ride, and like I said, there's no judgment, there's no shame in that. I mean, I, I don't blame, If it wasn't my ride that I was leading, I probably would have called my wife too, but I'm like, I'm, I'm the ride leader, I better get back, you know, uh, but he, uh, you know, he, he, he had somebody pick him up, and it was a smart decision for him, and Came back to the brewery and bought us all beers out of shame, I think. But oh. we, we were fine with it. I mean, We supported them. We're like, come on. You, know, you it's, took it's,
5: the beer though, did you? Of course, of course. So. <laughs>
3: yeah, I think that's something that's also really important to note with these group rights as well is having a level of like, trust and commitment to everyone that's in your group. So it should never be shamed upon if you have to cut out early or you need to stop and take a break. Um, I think that's where that trust. A leader of Bike and I in, I, need, I, need to, I need to have that sort of trust with people to be like, hey, I need to hang back, or hey, I, think I need to ride home. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been there, I've had to get out of my own rides that I've sent for myself, and the last thing we need to do is put more pressure on ourselves for not completing those because there's another day you can go back and finish that. And yeah. So, if your health's on the line, it's super important to take that seriously and also feel like you can trust everyone that's in your group to communicate. That's something that I've tried to instill. With the we're all we're all in this together, and we're here to cheer you on. And if you ever need to hang back or do something a little different in the group, we're all totally understanding of that. And it's most important to just speak up because only well, you know your limits, and you need to always communicate those things. So we're all aware, and we can all keep each other safe. In the
4: group. I, I tell a funny story. I think it's funny because. Uh... Last year, when I was riding a lot, I was riding with that no-stop group, and you get in the middle of that, that pace line, and the draft will keep you there, mm-hmm. and it gives you this false sense of security that, yeah, I'm good enough to ride with these folks, and as soon as we hit a hill, they're gone, and uh, I used to joke, I'm like, yeah, I ride the last five miles of my own group ride by myself, you know, just, you know, just to collect my thoughts, but, you know, i got to laugh at myself, but we have, um, we have another rider that rode with us, like, second season. Her name is Linda. There is there's that stress of trying to keep up with people, and we don't want that. You know, we want people to feel like you know, we've got your back, we're bringing you along. And Linda came along with the, with the no drop group, and everybody was outpacing her. And I was the ride leader, so I dropped back and I, I swept her up and I rode next to her. And we were just kind of rubbernecking it, looking at the scenery. But Linda was a little you know, frustrated that everybody left us. I'm like, yeah, but I didn't leave you. We we're here, we we're, we're, can still enjoy this ride. It's just you and I, don't worry about it. And She was so focused on everybody else. I go, it's fine. You, you've got somebody here. We're going to get you in. Well, Linda, the next week, shows up on a brand new bike, and I don't think she's missed maybe a handful of rides since that time, and wow. she's got her husband out there all the time now, and she's so motivated, and she, I always kid with her because she's my complaint department. She always comes up and tells us what we could have done better or what we, you know, whatever. <laughs> But she's, she's so fantastic, and she's such an advocate for us now, and she's just a great example of the people that come out and learn to love it. So. Awesome. awesome.
0: What do you see as growing your groups and also someone somewhere else in the country who wants to start a group? What's the greatest challenge you've had or you are running into growing a cycling group?
4: I mean, I, I can say it's just it's personal commitment. Like, somebody's got to be a leader, uh, and I, you know, I tend to be a leader chagrin sometimes. It's like, you know what, I love, I love to form groups, I love to form teams, and uh, so I think that's part of it. If you can get somebody who's committed to lead, and committed to do it consistently, uh, like I think Liz and I have started to do, I think that helps. It'd be great to have other volunteers to help you along the way. Um, and I think what we learn along the way too, what I've learned, and I've learned from Liz as well, is that a disciplined pace is very important to the participants, um, because our our early seasons, we were just like, okay, well, we're kind of going to ride this pace, go with that group. And what would happen is we'd stretch that group out because the fast riders would go with the front, the back riders would be a mile behind them. And for safety, that wasn't great, you know, because you're stretching out along a route where the motorists have a hard time passing all these individual cyclists. Where if we can keep the groups together at a disciplined pace, the motorists can pass that, that collective group much easier, and safety is better for everybody. And we're still working on that this season telling my my group leaders, you know, I know that you can ride 20 miles per hour, but I need you to ride 17 tonight. And 17 doesn't mean 17 mile per hour average, because I found that out too, that people think, well, 17 mile per hour average just means that sometimes we're riding 21 miles per hour, other times we're riding 13 miles an hour. People want to ride 17 the whole time. And fortunately for for the pack rides, we don't have a lot of hills, so that's that's almost doable. Uh, You can can't ride a consistent pace like that. It's going to average out. Um, uh, but I'm sure the same thing holds true is that people want to know exactly that pace of the ride so it doesn't stress them out. Yeah. And they know whether or not they can do it.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to level setting expectations and you definitely need, um, commitment, time commitment and I think a sense of leadership as well and being able to be consistent with your rides and with being there. Um, but it really comes down to level like setting expectations and setting those expectations before you get there. Um, because within that 20 minutes of people staging for a ride, you only have so much room to talk and people actually wanting to listen before they're just running and seeing to get out for a ride. Um, so for me, it's really come down to utilizing social media a lot to explain what's going to be happening before you get there. Um, if the brewery needs something, After the ride, those are gonna be explained as well. Um, but I try to be super transparent. There's always room for modification, but about what the ride groups are, the pieces that you're gonna be expecting to go on, and the ride groups available. And I mean, I think there's this endless room for creativity, and for me, I my background was in design and communication, so it's like I I try to make things digestible and for, um, to understand for people because you need that, especially if you're just starting out, you need to have uh, things explained in a way that you're able to digest and know exactly what you're getting yourself into. Um, and so, like, I try to utilize Facebook and Instagram and Strava as, well as outlets because I want people to uh, um, be able to know what they're getting themselves into. So, I feel for others who may be thinking about starting kind of these grassroots bike routes. It's yeah. not a business. It's, it's, it's literally just people who want to get on bikes and it's happening to grow. And so you kind of got to be ready to adapt to that growth, whether you want it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, because it turns out a lot of people want to ride their bikes. Um, so when you're handling <laughs> with 50 to 80 people who come out um, on a Tuesday or on a Thursday, you kind of have to be quick to your feet because I mean, there's no registration. There's no way to know how many people you're going to get out there. So... Um, I think planning is key, and you as a leader and communicating to your ride leaders, I'm very fortunate to have um, a core group of people who are super reliable, for leading. and that's another thing I think people should consider as well, is um, you might have a super strong passion for cycling and wanting to lead this group, but when you bring in a lot of people, you also need to have a lot of people you can trust to help lead those groups as well and kind of carry Group um, admissions. So it's it comes down to making sure you have the right people when you need them, where you need them, and, rides and kind of being an kind evangelist of for your group and cyclists and safety and looking out for people. Um, and this is all I don't even want, I don't know if it categorizes as volunteerism. It's just people who want to get out and help people. And you know, um, so I think it comes down just kind to just being that. a good. Wanting awesome to get people to explore the surroundings around their communities and people
4: and move. You have some great group leaders, Jen and
3: Lauren um, and Dave, I mean, all these I, guys are like... I couldn't do this without them. Yeah, yeah I mean, a big shout out uh, to Jen and Dave and Casey and Lauren um, and many others, because it's not only just having a ride leader, but it's having scouts throughout the groups that can hang back if needed or um, be able to communicate With the leader up front, being that we're all good or we need to slow down. Um, so it's a system. <laughs> you got to think about it like a yeah. system. Um, but I mean, you kind of figure that out as you go. I like, couldn't have been planning what my in is now three years ago. <laughs> I showed up to our first ride this year and was like, well, we have 50
1: here, <laughs> and a couple years
3: prior, we had 15 people here, yeah. and so you really have to be quick on your feet and make sure you have all the routes that people can access so everyone knows where they're going at a time and they can download those and utilize them as they want, but yeah, I mean, it's, it is a lot to consider. It's like you are communicating this using air quotes here, brand, and uh, you got to design whatever you need to design, communicate, um what they're going to be expecting on these rides and then communicate to your leads and everyone in your community mm-hmm. to know what to expect to come out a the time how far in advance do you set which routes you're going to do so i do that the night before really yes yeah. so and mm-hmm. i try to switch up our routes from time to time um just because one of my core values in cycling is to kind of keep it vibrant and switch it up a little bit and being very familiar with this area, I'm able to kind of switch up the routes as needed, and it comes down to, obviously, the, the capacity of my coordinators being able to kind of get familiar with that route before I send them off with a herd of people. Um, so, yeah, I I always make sure to post my route um, the day before my ride, just so people have at least a couple hours sure. to familiarize with um, what they might want to do the night of and get familiar with route as well and um so i i do all my communication for the tuesday i rides so one day night so people can always expect to see mm-hmm. the routes and what will be planned and any changes they need to accommodate before, before showing
4: up to the ride but yep. if people are anything like me i don't even i mean i love that you post the routes i think that's great but i just depend on the ride leader because i'm just along for the ride
1: absolutely and i, yeah. I love that
4: it's not my ride I love that I can just follow somebody. Yeah. And hey. it is so relaxing to me. And they say, turn left, turn right. I'm following you. That's where we're going. Yeah, that's so that's
0: totally fine. Too. Yeah. You're not looking at a phone or a GPS on no, your bike. You're no, just out.
4: checking checked out the out. scenery. Oh. And I mean, I'm on, on Strava. Don't get me wrong. I'm recording it just so I can you know, have that mileage there. Okay. Yeah. It doesn't matter where we're going to be. Yeah. Until they say, hey, let's do one more loop up that hill. then I'm like,
3: Maybe. yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's up for anyone can use that. I, I'm always the person that it's like I like to know what we're doing yeah. ahead of time, mm-hmm. so I can plan accordingly. And so um, it comes down to what people like to do when they are preparing things. And it's definitely an option. You don't have to read any of that. And you can come to the ride and you'll know exactly where you belong um, right before you start. And you'll go off and you yeah. have a good time. And then we can talk about it afterwards. But yeah, it's after evolving. It's like um, Greg touched on the complaints I mean, you're constantly taking in feedback, and I was having an interesting conversation last night with one of my ride leads, because um, again, I'm very familiar with riding in the canon. Um and I am quite immune to these pills, that I'm learning from a lot of feedback that are all around this area, so I i go incorporate that a little bit more into my messaging going forward, reminding people that... These are going to be hilly, <laughs> yeah, <it's on> the <laughs> the hilly routes and expect that. Um, and maybe if you find yourself in a different group because of that, that's totally fine. You're still going to get a great workout.
0: <laughs> yes. What, what's a speed bump in Buchanan might be a
4: full-blown hill in St. Joe. Yeah. For sure. yeah. yeah. You know, Marco, what's amazed me with the whole planning of this and just being at uh, somebody who used to talk about putting a group together, it's just throwing it out there. So we ride every Thursday night, but we also throw a lot of Saturday rides together. And they're never pre-planned. I mean, they are on my whim. Like Thursday night, somebody asked me, hey, are going to ride on Saturday? a well, Good idea. What am I doing this Saturday? So maybe later Thursday night or Friday morning, I'll throw a post out there and say, yeah, let's ride a new Buffalo on Saturday. And we'll maybe throw a quick route together. And last last season, we did that quite a bit. And I was surprised. 20, 25 people show up on one post on Facebook. And dependent on hey you're leading this ride mm-hmm. uh, it's more responsibility to really thought about but it's been great and people enjoy it and, you know when you do have the post routes it's easier because it can be self led you don't necessarily have to keep all the paces together but it's just it's just initiating
3: I think nice. so not counting events organized by your respective groups what is your favorite race or bike event that you've participated in uh,
4: I I happen to have a bias to this one because the company I work for, uh, Corlate Feederie, uh, was a sponsor of the MSU Grand Fondo last summer, and it was a phenomenal ride. You ride from Grand Rapids to uh, Grand Haven and to the lake and back. It's an 80-mile ride, and then there's a huge street party right in front of Van Andel Arena in Grand Rapids with, uh, I think, Founders Brewery was there and, and all kinds of food vendors, including Corel Feederie. That's could get super fun. Yeah, it was such a there was so incredible. The energy was so incredible today. day was great. They bring in some celebrity riders. Christian Vandeveld was there. Uh, there was also uh, Keegan Randall, who was a like, gold medal uh, cross country skier, was there. Uh, so it's just it was this energy that's amazing. Uh, not something you get to experience often, but that so far ranks pretty high on my list. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh.
3: Um, so I always like to go for ride that are quote suffer I I uh, I love going fast, but I'm all for going the distance. And uh, if I have to slow it down a little bit, that's okay. But as I said before, I really like gravel riding and single track riding as well. So the past year, I uh, I did a uh, a race called the Santo Two Hundred, which. Um, Starts up in Traverse City, ends in Traverse City, but loops down around the Baldwin area. And that entire ride is sand, single track, and two track um, roads that go through the Fantasy National Forest. And that was a crazy, crazy ride. Um, I look forward to doing it again sometime soon. All the rides this year have been postponed or canceled, so that kind of throws a wrench in it. But yeah, the, the past year I did. Sancho and then um, I did the ice for the first time really? as well. to do that? So. Oh, it's so fun! Yeah, I um, I had a friend loan me a mountain bike, and I was just able to kind of practice mountain biking throughout this last year. And then in November, I, I did the ice man, and I did pretty well. I think I um, I placed fifth in my division. And, Fantastic! Uh, wow. The first time on a mountain bike, and it was sleeting, snowing, and raining all at the same time, and I was covered in mud by the end but like that is that is the epitome for me like the perfect yeah, ride, is awesome. ride is when they're just like I don't know what the heck I'm doing right now during the ride but when you finish you're just super yeah. proud of yourself and I um those are the types of adventures that I try to get myself into the ones that a lot of people will roll your eyes and be like what the heck are you gonna do to yourself and <laughs> uh you just gotta do it you just gotta start it and uh see where it takes you Nice. So I'm looking forward to doing more of those events once I get kicked
0: back up again. I know a lot of cross country runners that definitely relate to that because I've got some on my team and I was that way too. If I crossed the finish line and I was still clean, what was the point? I mean, it was not a, I didn't work hard enough if I wasn't filthy. Yeah. yeah. It's a lot.
3: It's really
0: fun. It's all about fun. I at Michigan Tech, like right behind my dorm were the mountain biking trails. And I was on ground floor, and they, my sophomore year, they decided they needed to finally make the uh, the dorm handicap accessible. I don't know what took them so long at an engineering school. So they knocked down one of the walls and one of the showers to make it basically a double shower to make it handicap accessible. We didn't have anyone who needed it, so it became the mountain bike stall. So after you finished the trails, no matter where you lived, you came down to our community bathroom and used that one shower stall to hose off your bike. <laughs> That's awesome. Kept it
3: entertaining. Sure. If our listeners are new to biking, is there a good intro bike that you would recommend? Or is it really just any bike that you have laying
4: around? Yeah, I mean, first of all, look in your garage, right? So many people have bikes that they just haven't pulled out. Uh, You know, I was telling you, I'm riding with my wife right now on a 26-year-old mountain bike. It's fine. I put new tires on it. It works. I got teamed up uh, by a a guy that was across the street from me. I'm not a bike mechanic. He did a nice job on it. But, uh, you know, to put a plug in for inertia cycling in uh, Niles, uh, you know, Chris and his team there are phenomenal, and they're a they're great reference to go and figure out what's the right bike for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been big supporters of cycling in the area, and, you know, they're supporting not only the pack, but the beer 30, and they're supporting bike and Cannon, and you know, I can't say enough about those folks, but, yeah, refer to your local bike shop. are going to lead you in the right direction. Awesome.
3: It's intimidating going into a go
1: shop for the first time, but really I know
3: resort to your experts. <laughs> I mean, I can point people in the right direction. People ask me, like, get that question a lot? It goes back to your goals. And and you, bikes can vary in price, they can vary in styles, and it um, comes down to what you plan on doing with it. So, um, your, your local bike shops can definitely kind of help that thought process and what you do is best for you, um, but I mean, again, it comes down to Bike to original time which is to get people moving on bikes, mm-hmm. and we had so many people throw up, come out on their neighbor's bike, that was in their garage, Jeez. like, it was like, people were loaning bikes, and I always say, if you want to come join Bike you Can but you don't have a bike, contact me, because I have connections with people who have <laughs> lots of bikes in their garage, multiple bikes in their garage. So, um, well, and if
0: you're in the Chicago area, keep an eye out for Dan's bikes yes. <laughs> yeah. so just floating around. There's a lot of, bikes a floating of those. Around. It's probably available for
1: cheap. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah.
3: So it doesn't really matter the type of bike you get started on. It comes back to how you want to use it um, in the now and also in the future. And then um I think there's no reason for you to go out and buy a fancy bike just because you feel like you need to do that. Just start riding a bike. And you'll start kind of figuring out how it feels and how it works, and you'll be able to land on something that's
4: perfect for you, in use case, that you want for it. Jessica, I will say this, that we're seeing e-bikes start to show up at more and more rides.
3: E-bikes, like, where you rent it for an
1: hour? No, no, no,
4: no. no, no. These are something I haven't told you about. Yeah, On purpose. Yeah. People, People about? own e-bikes. E-bikes are power-assisted bikes. Has a, little, motor? Uh, it has a motor oh, on a it, a little motor on it, and it's cheating. Uh, yeah, it, it, <laughs> but it, but it also is accommodating. So if you're somebody who has a limitation of oh, some sort it. or another, okay. it can accommodate you. And uh, we have this this contingent now that's coming up from Michelle to ride with our rides regularly. Uh, and JV Peacock out of uh, Uppost Sports or Outpost Bikes now. Uh, he's he's I don't want to give his age away, but he's he's on his. He's up there, and he's, he's having some health issues, and he's riding an e-bike now. And he's proud of it. He loves it. Good. The bike does great. He, he's able to hang with the faster riders still, and uh, you know he, he's, he's promoting it to everybody. And I think it's phenomenal. So how does it
3: work? Like, do you pedal for a while, and then when
4: yeah, you, you can't power, do it anymore, you just switch assisted, over to yeah, not Well, you have to pedal to get power out of it. Okay. So you can't glide and it goes. Okay. You, it's just going to make it easier for you to pedal and still keep speed.
1: Okay. And then there's
4: there's also a maximum speed that it will go. Because otherwise it becomes a moped or something like that yeah i will tell you it's been a little defeating when i've been climbing a hill and i see somebody on a on a recreational style e-bike past me yeah as i'm as i'm just powering everything <laughs> i've got to get up this hill and they, they ride by straight up <laughs> how you doing you know but it's great for them because they're out there they're still doing it and i imagine someday i'll be on one. what
3: a great way to be inclusive that's amazing
4: the group rides, yes, but
0: before you get any ideas, no, no, it, they work. are illegal like, and you're racist. <laughs> I like my bike. I'm
3: very happy with my townie. It's pretty, and it's comfy, and it works.
2: I will kind of share. I was, I came from. I basically barely knew how to ride a bike before I started racing cross, and I moved to Chicago. And so, having someone who was a more experienced rider. Make sure I got something that was the right size. Because that's what I think people have a, the most miserable time riding. When they just borrow a bike, it's very ill-fitting to their height or their body type or whatever. And then they hate it. Like They're not going to enjoy it. They're going to come back. Um, so that's probably one. More than anything, even with bikes, like get the right size of a bike for you. And you will have so much more of an enjoyable time.
4: Yeah, and learn to shift the gears. I mean, I yeah. think now that I'm riding more with my family, with uh, my wife particularly, my young daughter. Whenever they're riding next to me, they, they always ask me, "Why are you pedaling so fast, You know, Dad? Why, why, why so quick?" And I, because I'm not putting out any energy right then, right? I'm in a gear where there's no I can move the same pace as them without even doing anything. Yeah. They're not gathering that; they're pushing the pedals, and they, they feel like they're getting a workout. I'm like, "If you want a workout, let's pick up the speed but take down the gear." And you'll, you'll get a little bit more out of it. And that also saves your joints quite a bit. Yeah. You know, it'll yeah. Save your knees a lot. However, so. well, teaching that,
0: that's where our 10 yeah. year old is at, is learning how to shift and yeah. when to yeah. shift. Yeah. And she's going, oh. and like, sweetie, if you just shift, it's way easier. Yeah. Occasionally, for our, our summer conditioning program we have for track cross country, it's mostly disciplinary. We have races, too. And so she was out there, I'm going for speed. You're on the smallest fog on the front. You know. You're not getting speed, right. sweetie. Your feet are going around a lot, but you're not going anywhere.
3: That's a learning curve as well. Yeah. I think especially um I've witnessed so many people transition from their cruisers or their hybrids to their road And you know but it's a huge learning curve to kind out your systems on you know, those. They're not a really bit different, but just your hands and um that was a a lot of the rides I think for the last two years bike you is I would just ride next to someone and I would help um, I would like talk through what they were supposed to be shifting into because you don't know you get confused sometimes. I still sometimes get confused sometimes and then, um, you'll just kinda get trigger happy and start clicking away and find yourself in the wrong gear going up the hill. Um, so I think it's good again to have that sense of community with people around you be like I need help shifting or if you see someone who might be having difficulty finding or doing something with their gears like I think we can always um assist people in an inviting way, are. telling them maybe some helpful tips like keep yeah. in mind when they are shifting yeah. and stuff like that because it can be a learning curve, especially Absolutely. when you just purchase your first road bike. Um I had to go through that as well when I first bought mine and um I was always happy and willing to listen to people who knew more than me to kinda of help me out and everyone I think we can all help each other because we've all been.
5: Definitely.
0: And then we say, it's like riding a bike.
3: <laughs> it's a little bit more complicated. It's a little bit more The more bikes know. you ride, yes. the harder it gets, and then you get better. It's an ongoing cycle. So you guys have talked about how sort of really easy it was to start your groups, and you had a lot of participation and it's grown exponentially, and it's amazing. Have you had any like serious challenges to growing your groups at all or any sort of roadblocks that you run into?
4: I, th- I think volunteers, as, it, as, as you scale it up, right? Yeah. Uh, everyone depended on me to be the leader of the group, and that was easy when you have one group. Right. You split into two, and all of a sudden you're looking over your shoulder going, anybody else want to lead the second group? And now at five, it's, it's a lot more challenging, and, and I'm not, you know, it's, it's not a, a full-time job for me at all, so I'm last minute. Like We're riding tomorrow. I haven't reached out to my group to get my leaders for tomorrow yet.
5: I know
1: they'll come
4: about, and I'm pretty confident of that. But, you know, hey, I need people to step up. I'd like people to step up. And even last week, uh, we had one group that didn't have a group leader as we started. And I just saw somebody do pull up. and like, you're the group leader, right? Yeah. So nice. that, that's the hardest part is, is just getting people to join you. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people just want to do it for enjoyment. They don't want Want any leadership responsibility to be honest. I understand that. Um, And so, you know, maybe in our scaling, we've reached a point where that's about as big as we'll get because of that. Um, If there were more volunteers that continue to step up, um, the group could grow to who knows what, right? And not that that's an objective of mine because it's just more work, but, you know, I'd love to see more people get into the sport. And the more rides, I'd love to see. We have a Tuesday night ride, we have a a Thursday night ride. I know there's other clubs out there that are riding as well that I'm not as familiar with. It's great to have a group every night of the week for somebody to choose from and find the right group for them. Okay. Yeah,
3: I think it, it, it does come down yeah. to having a group of people that are willing to help you out and um, reminding yourself as well to not put so much pressure and stress on yourself um, because it can get, like, wow, a little bit overwhelming when you have a, a big turnout. Um. But it really helps when you have a core group of people that are there to support you and you know you have consistent leadership and um, people to remind you why you're doing what you're doing. It's so easy to get trapped up in, wow, like now I feel like I have to help all of these people here. And, and at the core, that's exactly what I want to do. But um, we got to remember that we're all human as well and to so mentally take care of ourselves and have our core values that we fall back on. Else, it really mm-hmm. um,
5: and so, for me, that's
3: kind of been my biggest um, like, thing that I've reflected on a lot is I can't do this alone. It is a community involvement, and it's now gotten to the scale, as I'm sure Greg to as well, that it's like, we can do what we can by ourselves, but it's nothing without our, our members, our members of using Air Force, again, right? it's our community.
5: Our community that comes
3: together and rides with us every week. Um, we need we need everyone there, and um, I want people to enjoy it and uh, have a good time. So it, it comes down to having a good support network to be able to go back on and ask for help when we need
4: it. Like in the early days when we started riding with just 10 to 20 riders, it's easy for me to stand in front of 10 to 20 people and go, here's how we, we're going to be safe tonight, here's how we're going to ride tonight. That's really important. Those are big things, right? We're out on the road. Uh, but as the group grew, that was harder to make sure everybody was hearing you and understanding that. And when, once it got to eighty last year, like I said, that, that day after Memorial, that first Friday for Memorial Day, eighty people pulled up in the street and I'm like, no one's gonna hear me say anything. And this is this is I, I felt concerned about the safety of yeah. the group at that point. So this year and, and every time I did a safety spiel I couldn't remember it all, I didn't have a script with me. I'm like, oh, what are we thinking about? You know, call up polls, use hand signals, make sure you're, you know, a certain distance from people where you're comfortable, blah, 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 blah. And I'd always forget something. So this year I went out and paid somebody to record the rules <laughs> oh, yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. I just I found them on Fiverr and I'm like, here's the script. And I'll just, I'll just hit play at the end of every ride or the beginning of every ride. So I don't have to remember all that stuff. And it's, it's catchy because people hear it. It sounds like a Disney introduction to a ride, you know.
1: It's and amazing. It's, yeah, and that, way, that way it
4: takes do you get up and sleep. do the flight attendant hand gestures? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But I, it takes my stress away because I don't have to remember all that. I'm stressed enough as it is just to launch the ride. And I, I really, you know, that's not what I was looking for at the beginning. I want to enjoy the ride, too. So yeah, we're getting more of that. I think that, uh, that's that been the big hurdle for us. Okay. Yeah, yeah making
3: sure you're heard when I'm still looking for a megaphone, <laughs> uh, my voice only carries so far. Um, but yeah, instilling kind of group safety and kind of the ethics of running inside of groups, because again, some people might not be
5: quite familiar with that.
3: Um, and then safety, like for me, like entering I've the brewery, I've worked with um, the county a bit to kind of come monitor rides as we're exiting the brewery and it's just kind of cool. keep an eye on traffic and stuff because. The last thing I want to do is people who are leaving on their rides feeling extra stress to like watch out for cars and they're just trying to type in and not the right mm-hmm. So again, outreach to people yeah. in the community that can help monitor traffic yeah. in areas that are needed. Um, keeping, kind of keeping a check on where safety hazards might be and then accommodating for that and then making sure you have the
0: right things in place that can keep people safe. Do you ever have a little extra presence there to help yeah. with traffic and yeah. protect the riders? Yeah.
3: we have a county sheriff that comes out and helps cyclists uh, enter the road out on Walton because it is kind of a windy road in nature, so um, having a sheriff out there is stopping traffic when needed and making sure that all five of our groups you know, can exit safely and uh, it really gives people a peace yeah. of mind and knowing that, yes, they need to be, when they're out on the route, there, Again when you're starting out in a huge group of people, um, you can kinda of just maybe follow 100. someone and maybe not look both ways or something. So it really is helpful to have um, help in that way to help monitor the traffic around the cyclists. Yeah, Was yeah. it easy to get them to come and do that? Did you just call and say oh, Yeah, we really did that oh, follow, fantastic. I told them about my event and they were super willing to jump in and help and um so, when they can come down and get there, when our rides start, perfect. Like, nice. they'll just jump in and start stopping traffic. So, it's, it's nice to kind of have that security for me as well. Yes. Yeah. Otherwise, I would be yeah. like a, really stopping <laughs> okay, a little bit traffic. little
0: It's not a horrible thing. We've done it.
1: Exactly.
0: It's yeah.
5: fine. Stop
0: traffic. Yeah. That sounds. <laughs> oh, well, on that note, uh, we do have a few more things we've got to wrap up, but first, uh, as we segue, I do want to say thank you to Greg from Packeter and Peddlers, Liz from Bike You Can, of course, Dan from Pete's Cider Social, and the delicious cider. So good.
4: Here's to Dan.
0: Yes. <laughs> and real quick, we do have our uh, virtual competition we have going on, it's Mostly out of distance, although we do have one category, which is based on calories burned. Which, yeah, only one person's doing right now, because that's shut down. Everyone must be out riding bikes. So let's run through, before we go, uh, the champions for last week, and also a few changes to announce that we we previewed last week. Uh, We've made some changes to the Red Arrow Challenge. It is now completely free, no subscription required. Go to RAXHW.org go to the RAC FAQ page to create a username, start moving, record your distances, and at the end of the week you put in your totals on the log page. And that's it. You don't have to pay anything, just enjoy and see how you stack up. The leaderboard is up on our news feed for this last round, but the champions get a little extra kudos. So just nine and under was Little Marsh. 10 to 19, Ronan Runs. 20 to 29, H Gainer 305, beat out Gator Boy this week. 30 to 39, Mrs. Coach. 40 to 49, Try Try Again. Running. 9 and under, Yellow Ninja. 10 to 19, Nina. 20 to 29, Gator Boy. 30 to 39, Abel. 40 to 49, A Palomino. Lucky. 9 and under, Lil Marsh. 10 to 19, Baby Sensei. 20 to 29-year-olds and 30 to 39-year-olds were too cool to go walk. 40 to 49, Cyclone. 50 to 59, Jane. 60 to 69 was a tie between Bertie and Wayne. And it's, uh, by the way, Birdie and Wayne's anniversary today. And mm-hmm. a happy anniversary to them. 70 to 79, No-No Don.
3: Biking on road.
0: 9 and under, Seabass. 10 to 19, Nina. 20 to 29, Gator Boys. 30 to 39, Cyclopath. 40 to 49, Glendale. 50 to 59-year-olds and 60 to 69-year-olds did not post any results. 70 to 79, No-No Don.
3: Piking Off-Road.
0: 20 to 29 was a tie between Smytha and Super Mario. 40 to 49, Cyclone.
3: Sit Down, Paddling.
0: 10 to 19, Baby Sensei. 20 to 29, Dieter Boy. And 40 to 49, Coach T. <laughs> Stand Up, Paddling. 10 to 19 was Jojo. 20 to 29 was H 305 and 30 to 39 Abel.
3: Cross Country Ski.
0: The usual, probably the only two members with a Nordic track. 40 to 49 was El Tiburon 95, and 50 to 59, Big Juan 64. ED. 20 to 29, H 305, and 40 to 49, the member that I'm insanely jealous of, Great Juan. Hockey. Yep, it was Great Juan. Great one out there. You suck. I'm jealous.
1: Points.
0: 9 and under, Yellow Ninja. 10 to 19, Soleil was on top. She beat out Running Runs by 0. 0.4 points. 20 to 29, Gator Boy beat out HKNOR305. 30 to 39, Abel. 40 to 49, Try Try Again. 50 to 59, Jane. 60 to 69 was a tie by the anniversary couple of Bertie and Wayne. And 70 to 79, no-no-don. 80 to 89, no members are in the club. And 90 and up, we are still missing those. And then there were the featured members of You and Me. Woo-hoo. I swam, I ran, I walked, I kayaked, and I beat you on all those. I swam. You swam. Mm-hmm. Good job.
3: Thanks.
0: So clearly I won on points.
3: Congrats.
0: How's your current week, Ellen? Uh, It's going
3: pretty well. I've been in the pool a whole bunch. So I'm hoping maybe this weekend I can get on my bike. The deck's starting to loosen up a little bit. I'll be good. That will be good. Yeah. Yeah,
4: I'm having an awful
3: week. So I'm
0: yeah. hopefully I'll make up for it on the weekend. But with that, uh, let's wrap up this episode again. I want to thank Pete Cider and Pete's uh, Cider Social. Of course, Dan for joining us. Uh, the Them Peddlers, and Greg and Bikey Cannon and Liz. Thank you so much for coming in.
3: Thank you, guys.
1: This was super fun. It's what? Thank you. Nice meeting
3: you. It's it's fun. Fun. Yeah, super super great to get to know all you. I'm bike with us Yeah. Yeah. We'll
1: have to check it out. Hopefully our
0: members have been checked out too. Good? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For now, that's it. Bye.
5: Bye.